today, Matthew Jones. Uh, Matthew, many of you have heard his testimony before. Matter of fact, a little over a year ago, he stood on this stage and said, you know, I'm not a believer. Matter of fact, I've been agnostic most of my life. Uh, but he uh, trusted Christ right before cardboard testimony. And he's coming today, and he wants to share his story before he's baptized. So I'm inviting Matthew to share his story at this time. Good morning, folks. I, thanks for the opportunity to share. This is uh, my story of my journey. And before you reach for the insert in your bulletin, this journey doesn't have an insert in your bulletin. This one's on me. Um, so to get this story right, you, you guys kind of need to know where I started off. And, and I went to a church school in the UK. I had uh, religion, daily doses, weekly doses. Walked away from it as soon as I could get away from school. Didn't look back. Didn't think much about it. Came over to the U.S. I was in my late 20s. I was, uh, I knew who I was. It was all about science. Victim of enlightenment. Didn't have all the answers, but someday somebody was going to get a permanent marker in the whiteboard in the sky. We're going to have the ultimate equation. Going to answer everything. And, uh, didn't know when that was going to happen, but I was Matt Jones. I was an agnostic and, and, and that was where I was. And then, similar to the story you heard Ron starting to tell four years ago, after we've had kids, Adam started here at, at Rock Point in the preschool for similar reasons. We just wanted to give him some background, some, some, something with a, with a bit of oral fiber to, you know, start him off on the right foot. And I also didn't realize how it was going to change my life. And my journey really started there. And I just want to take you on a few stops that I had along the way in the probably three years from, from then and, until now. And we started coming to church on Sunday. And for me, it was really a time of denial. Um, Guys up here, great, makes you feel fantastic, and I'm glad you guys have got something that's wonderful going on, but it's not really for me. It's not really what, you know, it was great. It was something to do on a Sunday morning, and the family seems to be enjoying it, but it, it wasn't really for me. But after a while, I realized that I did feel different when I walked out those doors at the end. It was making me ask questions that I really didn't have all the answers to, and I wanted to learn more, and I, I started reading, and when this man's your librarian, you go through quite an eclectic collection, and I read Tim Keller, and I read C.S. Lewis, and pretty much everything that Strobel's ever written, and a bunch, bunch more, uh, until the point where my wife said, really, you've got, you've got to stop reading, you've got to start making a decision on this thing. But I wanted to share, I wanted to share with you um, one of the paragraphs that I read in C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, which just stuck with me the whole way through. Um, and from the point that I read this book, I think I was on an inevitable path. It took me a while um, but C.S. Lewis writes, and he's talking about Jesus Christ here. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. And for me, that struck right at the heart of my former belief system, because that was exactly where I was with Jesus, with the Bible. Nice book, it's got some great stories, sends people in the right direction. Jesus was around, he was a great guy, did a lot of good things, but, you know, really, that's about it. And from that point on, the, the question that, that constantly rang in my head, this evidence deserves a verdict. You've got to make a decision, you can't sit on the fence on this one not making a decision, you're essentially making it anyway. From that point on, I got myself knotted up for a bunch of time in apologetics, the workings of the inner ear, 
you know, all of that kind of stuff. You can go right down into the, to the details trying to work out whether there's a evolution argument and stuff like that. I was a scientist and I thought I needed all those answers. And it, in the end, I realized that I'm not clever enough to know. I don't think there are many people out there that do. And it took me down a path where I realized that actually wasn't what was important. And what was up here really didn't matter compared to what was in here. Um, and from that point on, I thought, well, okay, if this is going to happen, then I'm looking for the sign. There needs to be the big parting of the clouds, the light coming down and the finger and saying, Jones, get on with it. <laughs> and as a side note, at this point, the problem for my family was in my head. The voice from up there sounded awfully a lot like Darth Vader. <laughs> I find your lack of faith disturbing. Yes, you're not the only one. I am your father. Okay. So, hey, it's all, it's all part of the journey. They had to go through it, so you, you guys need to know. Um, and, and really about a, a few months ago, um, I, I realized that probably most people don't go through that, and Hollywood may make it seem that way, but for me it was a question of, at some point, you've got to make that leap of faith. And, and with Ron's help, really, I started to ask the questions um, for what was stopping me moving forwards. And in the end, for me, it was a case of pride. 35 years old, been an agnostic for a while, been my belief system, and now I'm about to stand up and tell my friends and my family, people who have known me for a long time, that actually I've been wrong for all that time. And that's hard. Um, and that took me a long time to get over. Um, but I've kind of got over that. Um, and I wouldn't have done that. And the main reason for me wanting to share today is, and if I start sounding like an Oscar acceptance speech, you can stop playing and I'll wrap it up. Um, I, I've got to thank my family because they got me here kicking and screaming a lot of times. Um, but also, I, I wouldn't be standing here if it wasn't for Rock Point Church and its mission. And when you hear people stand up here and talk through, receive, equip, impact, and send, if there was a picture postcard for the first part of that mission, you guys are looking at it right now, because I've been able to go through step by step, feeling welcomed, loved, prayed for, accepted at every step of the way, and it's through what happens here on a Sunday and outside here every other day of the week in the actions that you guys take, the behavior that you guys model, the courage that you guys show um, in your faith. And for those of you who may not have been here at this church very long, there are some incredible stories here that if you stay and if you listen to cardboard testimonies and other times when people get up here and share, there are just some fantastic stories of faith that can't help but get right into your heart. So I'm here and I'm ready to roll. Um, I'm still scared. There's so much that I don't know. I'm apparently meant to be a courageous spiritual leader of my family. It's a bit tough when you're the last one to the party. Um, so uh, I've got some catching up to do. Um, and this whole sharing your faith thing. Um, I come from a country where we have problems looking at other people on public transport. So getting up and, and sharing your faith with other people is something that I've also got to get around to doing better. Um, and uh, 
Well, this is the first start of that. Um, but I come back to the point of this whole thing for me has been a transformative journey. Back then, I was I was the agnostic. I thought I had all the answers. Um, now, for me, I know I don't have all the answers. Um, but the verdict is I believe, um, and I'm happy to stand up in front of you today and say, I'm no longer an agnostic. My name's Matt Jones. I'm a sinner, and I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. You will be seated. Matthew, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I have. Because of your profession of faith, as Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in Christ, raised to walk in a new way of life. Father, thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. God, I thank you for those whom you have brought into your kingdom, into your care, into your family this week. Uh, And God, we give you praise. And Lord, we look forward to what you will do in the days ahead. And so Lord, uh, as we do, we just give you praise and thanksgiving for what you are doing and for what you will do. Lord, I pray that this morning we would open up the eyes of our hearts and that we would receive from you. And we just give you thanksgiving at this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we continue uh, on, our, on our journey. And next week is Commitment Sunday. And so there are cards in the back of the pew. And we invite you to take one of those and pray about what you do. And we want to ask you to take a time this week as a family to just pray about it and uh, to look over that. And there, there are cards, and we, we've just kind of given you an outline of what you could do and what that would amount to. And we ask that you pray about that and, and uh, make a commitment of faith and, um, you know, consider maybe even stretching. Matter of fact, we unashamedly ask you to, to, to stretch. Um, that's really what I know there is a sacrificial system in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament there is no sacrificial system because Christ has paid the price once and for all. So really, uh, when we talk about the word sacrifice, and I know that's a loaded word with lots of meaning and terms, really this is probably in North America the place that uh, we encounter it the most is, is with our finances, isn't it? And so I ask you to pray about uh, what sacrifice means for you and, and your family as we move ahead. And so you pray about that. Again, we'll be turning in our commitment cards next week. We're not asking you to sign this. We want this between you and the Lord. Uh, nobody's going to be calling you and asking you, uh, where's your commitment at? We're not going to know because they're not going to have names on them. So we just want you to pray about that and pray, God, what are, what are you leading us to do? And we want this to be a spiritual journey for you. Uh, we, a reminder of why we do what we do. We had a dream in 2001 that we would start a church that would receive, equip, impact, and send. We launched. 2002, we procured the land that we're now on in 2006 where the building rests, and uh, which is really an amazing story, and maybe we'll share a little bit about that next week. Uh, then the ascent, um, we began, and we already had started, and we began to fully re- realize the dream of planting churches, of sending missionaries on the field, doing community outreach. And then the next piece is kind of our last piece for a base camp in order that we might basically uh, have about 700 more people. Why, why is that important? Because we want to be able to multiply. We want to be able to send people out 100, 150 at a time to start new churches that have the same vision that will multiply the vision. Uh, and what is that? We want to we have 10 people on the mission field by 10, uh, by 
2015, and that's out of our church body. Uh, there are already three people on the field right now, and we're, we're praying that God will send seven more uh, over the course of the next three and a half years. And then ter- ten church plants, uh, 1,000 children being sponsored. We're currently at 437, 10,000 hours of uh, community outreach service outside of these walls, and then we want to maximize that maximize that by continuing to see churches planted that share the same vision. We believe that God has placed us here to impact not just the community, but the world itself for the cause of Christ. Uh, you saw those who were, were baptized, and I just want you to make aware, I just want you to see the names of the people who just in 2011, this isn't anybody before that, this is all people in 2011 who've uh, followed Christ and believers' baptism because of their faith in Jesus Christ and have followed believers' baptism. And we don't have the three that will be there today uh, on that list yet, uh, but they will be on that list. And uh, those are people who've, who said, yes, I, I have trusted Christ and I want to follow him in believers' baptism. And we want to continue to see that happen. And uh, I know a lot of times at this service you don't get to see all the baptisms because most of those are done at the 11 o'clock hour. Uh, but we want to praise God for what he's doing. And then I, I want you to be aware of missions-wise. One of our elders' wives said, I didn't realize all the things that we're doing mission-wise. And so, again, as we talk about our vision, why do we do what we do? Uh, here are some of the international missions that we are involved in. Of course, Monica Miller, who was on the field, you heard on her testimony last week. Uh, Kids Connect is a ministry that we're starting to connect with and be involved with in Belize. Uh, we're going to be sponsoring a school and uh, children there. And we've already had people go. As a matter of fact, we'll be having people go here next week uh, who will be going over there. Uh, the Spinks, who are already in Transylvania. Uh, we've got a couple of different uh, homes in Haiti, orphanages, that we are sponsoring in Haiti. We have a trip coming up in January. Men, if you're interested, if God's really put a mission call in your heart, if you're really, uh, and we tell you that, Right up front, unashamedly, this isn't the fun trip. Okay, this is the get kicked in the head trip. All right, so um, uh, you know if that's what if you're ready to take that step, uh, I'm challenging you, some of you, some of you as men, uh, to come go uh, in um, in January to Haiti. It will it will forever open your eyes, and you we've got Kurt and some other folks in here that can share with you. Uh, Clean water for Africa corporate program uh, corporate program with SBC is simply this: it's uh, we give money. And all that money is kind of pooled together to sponsor uh, missionaries. And that's where every penny of that goes. International uh, missionary uh, sponsorship, that's kind of what it talks about there. Doc Henry is another guy of our church who does six months in um, in China. Uh, Feed the Hunger, a new directions pack. Uh, we're going to be doing that here in about four weeks. We're going to pack 175,000 meals. Uh, most of them will be going to Haiti and places of that nature where children are literally uh, almost in starvation mode at this point. Family Legacy, that is a camp in Zambia uh, that a lot of our people go to and went to this last summer and help uh, with orphans and at-risk children literally do do a camp there. As a matter of fact, our teens and even our older children help lead groups there. Uh, and then I won't go through all of these, uh, but there, there are a lot of missions that we're involved with internationally. And then locally, uh, there are several nursing homes here that we work with as well as Alzheimer's Home, CCA Cornerstone is a church in downtown South Dallas <clears throat> that we partner with. Matter of fact, a lot of our children have already been there uh, through Mission Impossible. Uh, and then you see the other things that we're working with. 
Salvation Army and then a school that we've adopted that we're helping meet the needs of, of less fortunate families, of needy families there in that particular school. And then these are church planners we're working with now. Uh, we've had others. Uh, this is an, a, an exhaustive list, but these are the ones that we're currently connected with and uh, still working with. And so um, that's what we're doing. That's why we do what we do. Uh, here's the question we have to ask ourselves as believers and followers of Christ. We know that the greatest calling on our life is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Jesus said this is the greatest commandment. The second one is to love your neighbor. And then he charged the church, he charged the believers, the followers of Christ, with a great commission. That's what we call it. It was a, it was a commission. He said, this is what I want you to be about. I want you to therefore go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's what we call the great commission. And if that is really our highest calling outside of loving God with all we are, uh, our heart, soul, and mind, that's the great devotion. If our mission is the great commission, then it stands to reason that when we make decisions in our lives individually as, as believers and as a church, that that would be the value by which we make our decisions. That's where we would start. How does this help us? And how do we accomplish the Great Commission? And we need to ask that question with our individual lives, with our resources and all that God has given us. And so I challenge you to pray about that and think about that. This morning we're going to look uh, at a passage in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. And the title is, Are We Called as Christians, to be shrewd. That word shrewd. You know, we know we're supposed to be kind and generous and have the fruit of the Spirit in our life. That's that's evident. But Jesus gives a parable here that is most disturbing to a lot of people. I mean, if you had to pick one parable out that you could just go, I'm not sure what he was talking about there. Are, are we sure that was Jesus right there? I mean, this is the parable uh, that, that you would pick out and you'd go, man, that one's hard. That one kind of flies in the face of what I thought Christianity was supposed to be. Because he commends, first of all, someone who is unjust. And then secondly, he encourages them to be shrewd. And then third, he gives a, almost a condemnation of those followers in his kingdom who are not being shrewd. Well, what does the word shrewd mean? Well, I can tell you the biblical definition is not the negative connotation that someone, we sometimes think of. Somebody who rips us off, uh, somebody who's cunning and, and thinking of ways to, to uh, take advantage of us. That's not what he's talking about here. Uh, a biblical definition of shrewd would really be more uh, in the nature of someone who is wise, someone who is prudent, uh, someone who is discerning. Matter of fact, the Greek word is phronimos, and phronimos literally means clever, discerning awareness. The Greek word for shrewd that is used here means clever, discerning awareness. So Jesus, in fact, in this parable we will see, really encourages us to be wise, to be discerning, uh, to be clever in the most positive sense of the word. We see a good lesson from a bad manager, from a bad guy, literally. And, um, you know, it, it, the best way to understand it is like today. If you have to hire a lawyer, let's say that somebody decides they're going to sue you because you ran over their dog or whatever it is that you've done, okay? Uh, you've run into their car, and they decide they're going to sue you. <clears throat> well, when you get a lawyer, do you just want, you know, I'm just really looking for somebody that's just really sweet and unique. I'm just a little soft tone. If they'll just be a really sweet lawyer, then I'm going to be happy. 
You know what? I think you want a kind lawyer, a lawyer that's going to be kind. You don't want someone that's abrasive, but what you really want is you want somebody shrewd. You want somebody wise. You want somebody sharp. You want somebody strategic, somebody that's going to think through all the details, think about where we are now, where we need to be, and what we need to do to get there, how uh, we're going to manage this case, and how we're going to be able to limit collateral damage, so to speak. So we want a shrewd lawyer, don't we? And we want one in the shrewd, in the positive sense. We don't want one that's going to rip us off and rip everybody else off. Uh, we want one that's wise, and, and uh, we want one that's clever, and we want one that's, that's righteous, okay? And that is exactly what Jesus is talking about. And he's saying, that's the way I want my followers to be when it comes to the kingdom of God. Amazing, isn't it? We, we sometimes think that it's real spiritual to say, God's just going to do everything. I'm just going to trust Him. You know, whether it's uh, the journey or whether it's our family. You know, sometimes I see this with spouses. Well, you know, I'm not doing anything. They got the problem. And I just, I'm praying, just asking God to take care of all this. Like, there's no responsibility that you have. Can I tell you that equals no change? Uh, that that equals that you will continue to have a problem. Let's take that example for a moment. Let's take let's take marriage for a second. Struggling in our marriage. What would be the faith thing to do? Well, let me tell you, first of all, what faith is. Oswald Chambers has given the best definition I've ever seen. Here's what faith is. It's doing everything I honestly and ethically can and trusting the rest to God. Doing everything I honestly and ethically can, and then I trust what I cannot do to God. So, in other words, when I'm looking for work, this is a very familiar thing. Should I just sit at home and go, I'm just going to trust God. He'll send me one. Well, we all know that's not real wise. It's definitely not very true. What we're going to do, what we need to do, and it's not spiritual to say, I'm not doing nothing. God's going to just do it for me. That's not spiritual. That's dumb. Okay? That's what that is. All right? That's not, that's the opposite of shrewd. All right? Excuse me for boys and girls in here today. Um, but what we do want to do is this. We want to put out as many resumes as we can, and we want to have as many interviews as we can, and we want to uh, talk to as many people as we can, and then we're going to say, and that's what I can do, honestly and ethically, and God, I'm going to trust you to open the door. God, I'm, I'm going to do what I can. Ultimately, I can't make somebody, but I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to do, I'm going to do all that I can. In a marriage, I, I, maybe I'm, I've got to take responsibility. You know what? I, I need to get some counsel. I need to get some accountability because maybe I'm not perfect. Maybe there's some things I need to be changed, but I'm going to trust my spouse to God. I'm going to trust that God will change them, but I'm going to do everything that I can on my end. That's being shrewd. That's being wise. That's what Jesus is talking about here, okay? It's not just saying, God, you do it. I'm not doing anything. That's called laziness, all right? And God never affirms laziness, but he does say, you know what? You do what you can with the resources that I've given you, with the opportunities that I've given you, and trust me with the rest. You do what you honestly and ethically can, and trust me with the things that you cannot do. If it means you have to sin or manipulate, then stop right there. I will take over, and I will meet, I will fill in the holes and the gaps that you cannot fill in on your own. As we look at this parable, it's interesting that of the 39 parables that are recorded in Scripture, 19 of them have to do with materialism or with wealth or with uh, materials themselves. And yet, Jesus uses it over and over again. If you look at this passage, matter of fact, if you flip back in the end of chapter 14, you see the cost of discipleship. And then Jesus talks about the parable of the lost sheep. 
then the lost coin, and then as we move on, then he says the parable of the shrewd steward. And then from there he goes to the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, then we go on over to chapter 17, and we talk about the coming of the kingdom of God and what that will look like. And then he gives the parable of the persistent widow. Uh, incidentally, here's another parable about an unjust judge that Jesus uses a parable of that nature. And then the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And then he, he does the uh, the rich ruler. Uh, and sometimes this one is also associated with the talents. Uh, it's talking about the ten minus that are given here. So we see that Jesus addresses this pretty thoroughly in the Gospel of Luke, almost in a continual fashion. And so as we look at that, this, uh, I want us to just think about uh, the questions that we probably need to ask as we look at this text. Are we taking advantage of the opportunities that God has given us for his kingdom? And as we look at this text, let's think about that question. Are we shrewd? Am I being a shrewd as, shrewd as a believer in Christ in the most positive sense? Am I being shrewd? Are we being shrewd as a church? Let's begin reading this parable in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, beginning with the first verse. And Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager, uh, whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. It's interesting. He, here's a manager, a steward, if you will. Your translation might use that word, much like Joseph was over Potiphar's house. We see how Potiphar entrusted Joseph with his house and how he multiplied Potiphar's resources, how he was a good steward. He was a faithful steward. And this is an example of a guy who is not like Joseph. Perhaps he's been successful in the past, but he's gotten greedy and he started to take of what was not his. And now he has to give an account, just as each and every one of us, one day at the end of our lives, will have to give an account for what we have been given, for what we have done with what God has given to us. Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my jobs. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do uh, so that when I lose my job, people will welcome me into their houses. And so he called each one of his master's debtors and he asked the first one, how much do you owe my master? And he said, 800 gallons of olive oil. And he replied, uh, take your bill and sit down quickly and make it 400. Now, what's going on here? We see the guy who was the steward. He's been uh, basically he's been caught. His owner has recognized that he's not been handling his money properly, calls him in. He says, you need to give an account for what you got. We're going to meet here in a few days, and I want you to bring the books, and uh, we're going to get this sorted out, and you're done, my friend. And the man thinks, now, what am I going to do? I'm too old and not in shape to dig. I can't do that. I I can't go out and and beg in the streets. He probably has a family. What, What am I going to do? At this point, he recognizes he has done this to himself. He is guilty. What am I going to do? And this is where the shrewdness comes in. First of all, he thinks about what he's been given. He makes a plan of action and then he acts upon it. So he recognizes what he has. He thinks about 
his situation and what is available to him, and then he has a plan of action. He thinks about, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make an investment for the future. I'm going to make an investment in my future here. And so as he considers that, what does he do? He goes to his first person who owes, and he says, um, how much do you owe? And he said, well, I, I owe about a, about 800, um, 800 barrels is what I owe of oil, which was a precious commodity, which would be equivalent of 450 olive trees. He said, that's what I'm going to do. He said, well, that's what I owe. And he said, well, cut that in half. Wow. Okay. That sounds great. Cut that in half. Then he goes to the next one. He says, how many, how much wheat do you owe? Is basically what he asked him here. And he says, well, um, he says, a thousand bushels of wheat. And he says, well, take it down and, and make it 800. That was about the equivalent of uh, 100 acres of wheat. And so he does that. And then here's what's interesting. And the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Wow. Now, how can he do that? Because, I mean, we look at this text and it's problematic on a couple of levels, isn't it? Uh, because we've got a, a bad guy who's ripping off his, his owner and then his owner uh, allows him and says, look, we're going to have to do some accounting here. We're going to bring this all in. And then he helps out some other people, which still looks like he's still ripping him off. And, uh, and then he comes back. And he finds out what the guy's done, and he doesn't press charges. He goes, man, you acted pretty shrewdly. That's pretty impressive. Notice he didn't give him his job back. Uh, but he says, uh, you, you acted really shrewdly. Uh, that's, that's impressive to me. Well, there's a couple reasons. Now, some people think, well, just what it was. He got ripped off, and who knows why the manager didn't, didn't do anything. I, I don't think that's the case. I think it's one of two cases here. Number one, uh, it was very common in a normal practice for the steward, the collector of the goods, the collector of the resources, uh, to tack on a commission. That was very normal. Uh, that's what the tax collectors did. That's one of the reasons the, the Jews hated them. So you would tack on your commission, whatever you and your manager deemed. And sometimes the manager would just say, whatever you can get, that's fine, but you better get me what's mine. Okay? And so it's very possible that that could have been his commission that he has eliminated. Uh, we see in ancient records that sometimes uh, they would charge as much as 50 to 100% more than what the value of the commodity was. Uh, then the other thing might be, uh, they might, this might be from a Jewish perspective, and, uh, you were not permitted, uh, in most cases, now in some cases you could, but in most cases to charge interest, uh, to your Jewish brethren, particularly if they were, um, if they were widows or orphans, and if they were common brothers and sisters, then that was regulated too by a specific amount that you couldn't charge over that. And, uh, what, the, so what they do, what the crooked would do, they would just charge more for the commodity itself. And, and maybe not charge interest or charge a very low interest rate, but just double up on the value of the commodity. So it could have been either one of those or both could have been occurring. And so at the end, the owner really has no legal obligation because he's overcharged or it was the servant's uh, commission. So he really has nowhere to go. He's gotten back his resources. And legally, he's gotten what he was supposed to get. So he has nowhere to go. And he just sits back and he just goes, that's pretty sharp. That's pretty shrewd. Uh, not that I'm excited that I don't get everything that I wanted, but I'm getting everything that I'm supposed to get. And he really has nowhere to go legally with it. So we see he even appreciates the shrewdness. Now, he doesn't appreciate it so much he, he goes out and gives him a race and hires him back, but he recognizes, hey, he's been shrewd. And so Jesus uses this analogy, and we see it, and we pick up right here. It's very interesting in verse 8, if you'll turn with me. Matter of fact, let's just look at it on the screen. Because uh, I can see it better. Uh, the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are, sh- are more shrewd with their own kind 
than are the people of light. Now, what in the world does that mean? Looks like he's picking on Christians here or followers of Christ. Uh, but what's actually occurring here is he's saying, look, uh, I know many of you have made great sacrifice. I know many of you have followed me. He said, um, but I want you to know, uh, just as he tells us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, as he told his followers, he said, I'm going to send you out amongst the wolves, and I need you to be as shrewd as serpents and gentle as doves. Jesus gave his followers that commission in Matthew 10:16. He goes, look, I want you to be shrewd with what I've given you. I want you to be wise. I want you uh, to recognize that I've gifted you with certain resources and talents and abilities, and I want you to make the most of those. He so so don't just check your brain at the door. Don't check your business abilities and talents and gifts at the door. I want you to use them for the kingdom. For the people of this world are shrewd in their dealings. They're definitely going to be shrewd. They're not uh, necessarily uh, in, you know, they're not prohibited by a moral code but yet they act shrewdly. Sometimes it may be negative, but I want you to shrewdly within the bounds of the spirit, within the bounds of ethical behavior and honest behavior. I want you to be shrewd in your dealings. I want you to make the most of the opportunity. I want you to plan ahead. I want you to have a strategy. I want you to play with the end in mind. And then he goes to verse nine. And in verse nine, he says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed in to eternal dwellings. Now, what does he mean by that? Is he saying you can buy your way into heaven? Well, we know that's not the case. That's not what he's saying at all. Is he saying I can kind of buy friends uh, into heaven? No. Here's what he's saying. He's saying use your money for the glory of God to to uh, spread the word of God, to invest in the kingdom that others might come to know Christ. And therefore, you are laying up treasures in heaven. There'll be those that welcome you there into heaven when you come in because you have invested in the kingdom, because you have invested your time, your resources, you've given a verbal witness, you've given money. He's saying, that's what I'm talking about, Rare. Use your wealth to see people come into the kingdom so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed in the kingdom. You see, you can't take it with you, but you can sure invest it for eternity. And that's what he's saying right there. Now, I know I'm going to stop for just a second here. I know people have questions uh, about our church taking on debt. And I want you to know we're going to have a special time here Wednesday night. We're, we're just going to have an open forum about that. Uh, we're also going to have one of the premier scholars in our area, Dr. William Bell, come in and talk about from a biblical standpoint. He is a expert in Hebrew and Greek and in Old Testament and New Testament. Matter of fact, uh, Pam Marsh and Pat Marsh, uh, some of you know who've taught our women's and men's class, uh, Pat was actually uh, mentored by Dr. Bell. We also have a little handout on the way out that will just kind of give you a, a brief discussion and some scripture of how we got to the place that we are and biblically uh, how we got there. So if you want to pick that up on the way out, if you want to come uh, Wednesday night, I invite you to do so. And we'll talk about that at that time. But what we do know from this text is this, is that God wants us to make mo- the most of the opportunities that he has given us. What's interesting, if you go on in this text right here, and let's go on to the next verse in verse 10. Let's just read through this together. Uh, and in verse 10, he said, Whoever will be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Uh, and verse 11 says, So if you have not been trustworthy in handling the worldly wealth that you've been given, who will trust you with true riches? He's talking about eternal riches. He's talking about riches and treasures in heaven. 
In verse 12, and if you have not been trustworthy in someone else's property, i.e. God's, who will give you your own property, your own eternal property? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Either you will use money uh, as a as a source for which you can uh, make impact in the kingdom, and you're using money, or money is using you. That's one of the two. Verse 14. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. What were they doing? They were going, he's talking about, and they're going, uh, I think that's out of context. I think he's just pulling scripture out of context. I don't like that. I've never heard that before. I don't like that. That doesn't make sense. I'm not buying that. I know what he's trying to do. That's what they're doing right there. They're sneering. That's what sneering means, by the way. We all know that. Uh, verse 15, he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your heart. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. So where does that leave us? What does that mean for us? Well, a couple of things. Number one, let me ask you a couple of questions. What are you doing with what God has given you? Time, talent, abilities, skill, resources. What are you doing for the kingdom's sake with what God has lended to you, what God has given to you to steward, to manage for him? Are you taking advantage of opportunities that God has given you to invest in the kingdom, to use worldly wealth, to see people come into the kingdom? We heard Matt Jones talk about uh, receiving, how people had reached out to him, how people had taken him to lunch and taken him to dinner and and uh, taking their opportunity to invest in his life. Whose life are you investing in today? Let me tell you this. You know, the last parable, we're not going to go into it. The, the talent of the ten minus. Also, the, it's uh, very similar to the, the talents parable of which one is given five, one's given two, one's given one. Let me tell you this. I still believe that we are a five-talent church. God has blessed us immensely, and to whom much is given, much is required. The question is not, have we been blessed, but what will we do with it? Many of you are five-talent families. God has blessed you with a, a good education. He's given you a position of influence. He's given you a good neighborhood. He's met your needs. He's given you five talents. What are you doing with what God has given you? To whom much is given, much is required. What will you do? It. What is your plan? How are you enacting it? I believe as a church, God has called us in the plan that we showed you before. That's why we're doing what we're doing. And uh, we're going to do it in faith. And we're going to do it because we feel like God is calling us to make uh, the most of the five talents that he's given us. Let me close with a story. Some of you have heard this before. Um, Dr. Shuler tells a story of when he was a child. Uh, he was raised on a farm. And when he was on this farm, his dad was primarily a wheat farmer. And uh, he harvested wheat. He said, and every year at the end of the harvest, we would all come together. And at the end of that harvest, you know, we would take kind of our first fruits and we would give our money to the church and we'd come back and we would have kind of a, a, a lunch kind of time where we would celebrate and we'd thank God for what he had given to us and the provisions he had. And we would do that every year after harvest on that Sunday morning. He said, and in one year, it wasn't very good. Matter of fact, it was kind of bad. And we didn't have a lot. I knew we didn't make a lot of money. And... um we came back. My dad still gave the first fruits of what we had taken, and we came back. And my God, dad just got, gave thanks. And God, we recognize everything we have is from your hand. We thank you uh, for this harvest that you've given us. And he just praised God all the same. He said, and I, I was, I go, wow. He said, the next year he was even worse. He said, there was a drought. 
He said, and there was practically nothing. He goes, there was almost nothing. He said, we just barely had enough to plant the next year. He said, and I wondered, what in the world is my dad going to say this year? And so we came back, and we're sitting at that table, and we start to pray. And, and my dad says, God, thank you so much for giving us back our seed. And I just remember going, whoa. <laughs> and um, he said, and then the next year, he said, we had to go out and take a loan so that because we didn't have enough. And we had to, he said, we had to go out and take a loan, and we had to do some repairs on our barn, and we had to get enough money so that we could even get the place to where we could uh, receive of those things and to to plant and to put all that in, uh, put all that wheat uh, to work for us and all those seed to work with us. So we we took out this loan and um, it looked like it was going to be a bumper crop. The wheat began to come up. There was plenty of rain and it was we were just thinking, oh man, this is really going to put us back. We're going to be able to pay off our loans. We're going to be able to get a little bit ahead. This is going to be amazing. We were already being thankful to God for the blessing. He said, and then it was about a week before harvest. And he said, and my dad came barreling up in his in, in our car. And um, he said, he said, there's a tornado coming. We all jumped in the car and we went about a mile down the road to this low-lying area. And we just kind of hunkered down and the tornado hit. He said, after about 30 minutes, we we, we all lifted up and we drive back. He said, and where there were two barns, there was nothing but rubble. He said, where there had been fields and fields of hundreds of acres of wheat, he said, it was all wiped out. He said, and then even our home, it was demolished. You couldn't even tell it was there. And I remember as a as a bo- small boy, I mean, he said, I was about eight years old, eight or nine years old, and I holding my dad's hand, and we're walking through where our house used to be, and my dad starts crying, and I could hear him whispering, why, guy? Why? And I'm just holding my dad's hand. He said, and, and he stepped on something. And we looked down, and it was a plaque. And he reached down, and he picked it up. And it said, keep trusting in Jesus. He said, my dad just got on his knees. And he cried, and he prayed. He said, God, I will trust you. He said, and I never forgot that. He said, and you know, it, it took us several years. We had to go back and take out another loan, and it took us several years to get back. He said, it was probably eight or nine years before we got back to just even um, but you know what? I wouldn't be doing what I was, what I, I'm doing today. And he said, I wouldn't be the man I am today if not that moment. He said, my dad taught me more about trusting God and stewardship in that moment than in all of the other moments combined in his life. And I thank God for that moment of when it looks like everything is gone, yet I will trust him. Hey, today, that's ultimately what we're talking about. It's a matter of trust and faith. To be shrewd enough to recognize He's the God of the universe, that He controls all things, and that as we worship Him with our giving, with our time, with our opportunities, that we are laying for ourselves up eternal treasures that cannot be corrupted by moths or rust, that cannot be stolen. Are you a shrewd follower of Christ this day? What are you doing with the resources that he's given you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for those who come to know you as Savior this week and have trusted you and are following you. And Lord, I know there are still many more in this community and around the world that, Lord, you want us to use our time, our talents, our efforts, our resources to reach. God, I pray that we'd be governed by the principle of making more and better followers of Christ for your glory, whatever that means for us. And God, we thank you for what you'll do in the days ahead. In your name I pray. Amen.